Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning to Luke's Gospel, at Luke chapter 11, and we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 13. Uh, you'll find it on page 869 of the Pew Bibles, page 869. Uh, this section in Luke is Jesus' teaching on prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to be thinking about prayer over the next three Sunday mornings. So this morning and the next two Sunday mornings, our focus will be on what the Bible says about prayer and then also the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to read Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, page 869 of the Pew Bibles, and this is God's living word to us. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. <coughs> I cannot, cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything. <coughs> excuse me. I tell, you, though, he, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. <coughs> and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles at this point in our service and turn to Luke chapter 11. You'll find it on page 869 of the Pew Bibles. You'll have to bear with me this morning. I may at some point bark like a dog again, but um, I will hopefully manage to get through. Let's pray before we think about the word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true and living and that it helps us and equips us to live in this world as your followers. And we pray that as we come to it this morning that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us and that we would surrender our all to Jesus. And we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, this morning we're moving on to the next part of Luke, and it's a very famous part. Uh, the recent stories have been familiar to us, but this part is perhaps even more familiar and even more well-known. Uh, the opening part of Luke 11 contains Jesus' teaching on prayer. His teaching is prompted by the disciples' request, Lord, teach us to pray. And that continues the theme of Jesus as teacher that we noted in chapter 10. 
It's very timely that we've come to the Lord's Prayer as it's recorded for us in Luke's Gospel. Uh, prayer is one of the things that we're very keen to develop within the life of our church family at the minute. And what we're going to do, therefore, is slow down and take some time to think through some of the basics on prayer and then take a look at the Lord's Prayer itself. We're going to take three Sundays on this, but hopefully it'll be really beneficial for us. And that's because there is no other activity more essential to the Christian life and yet more discouraging in a Christian's life than prayer. Nothing more essential in the Christian life, nothing more discouraging in the Christian life than prayer. We know we should pray, we want to pray, or at least we want to want to pray. We admire those who do pray, and yet when it comes to actually praying, most of us feel like failures. If someone was to ask you right now, if you were to turn to the person beside you and they were to say to you, how is your prayer life going? My guess is that is that, that question would make you feel a little bit awkward. If you were asked that question, very few of us would be happy and confident enough to respond. We wish we prayed more often. We wished we prayed for longer. We wished we prayed better. It's unlikely that any of us thinks ahead to the end of our lives and anticipates saying, I feel really good about what my prayer life has been all these years. We probably better resonate with this question. How can something I'm so bad at be God's will for my life? How can something I'm so bad at be God's will for my life? Normally when it comes to sermons on prayer or books on prayer, we're left with an unavoidable sense of guilt. Even the best books on prayer can have a, a deflating effect on us. In my, in my experience, nonstop focus on the ought of prayer, you ought to do this more, moves Christians in the short term, but it wears off very quickly. With that in mind, let me tell you what to expect in the next few weeks. You shouldn't expect a rant and a rave about how you're not praying enough. Hopefully you know me well enough to know that I'm not a ranter. But you should also, you should also not expect me to say, you, you don't come to the midweek prayer meeting enough either. A lot of you might expect me to say that, and to be honest, it would be great if more people would come to the midweek prayer meeting. But if I stand here and give you what would be essentially more, no, more, no more than a telling off, it'll work for a week or two and then things will go back to normal. You can't, you'll feel kind of guilty because I'm cross and you'll think, well, I need to go to midweek because the minister said so. That is the wrong motivation for prayer. It's the wrong motivation. What I want to do over the next few weeks is convince you that the Bible says that prayer is so basic, essential, and fundamental to what it means to be a Christian, that you will want to pray more. And instead of focusing on how we ought to pray, I want to make you want to pray. We must pray. The Bible commands us to pray. It's an assumption, that, it's an assumption in the Bible that a Christian will pray. No one, not Jesus, not his followers, questioned that God's people would pray. The same is no less true today. If you're part of the family of God, you will talk to your father. If you never talk to your earthly father, if he's alive, especially if you live in the same house, something is very dysfunctional. Of course we talk to God in prayer. He is our heavenly father. You can't be a Christian and not pray. There's no such thing as a non-praying Christian. But if we're going to move from I should pray more, that sense of guilt, to I can pray, that gospel-focused motivation, well, we have to think of prayer in the right way. And at the heart of that right way is understanding that our God isn't hard of hearing 
and that he isn't hard of heart. You can speak to him. You can talk to him honestly. You can be plain with him. You don't need to impress him. As your heavenly father, he already loves you. You just need to show up and talk to him. That's good news for us. Um, We're going to explore that over the next few weeks. But the even better news is that when we do show up for prayer, our Heavenly Father will be gladly waiting there, ready to hear us and eager to listen. So with all that said, here's where we're going this morning. We're going to think about three questions. Why do we not pray? What is prayer? And how can we pray? Why do we not pray? What is prayer? And how can we pray? As we've said already, next, next week and the week after, we'll, we'll think about the Lord's Prayer as it's recorded in Luke 11. But today we're really just putting down some concrete, laying the foundations for understanding what the Bible says generally and broadly about prayer. Let's think about our first question. Why do we not pray? There are a few reasons. The first is that life is easy. Re- relatively speaking, for most of us here this morning, life is easy. We wake up in warm beds, we have access to warm running water, both hot and cold. Our fridges are stocked with food, our wardrobes are brimming with clothes. In terms of material possessions, we want for nothing. As well as that, life in the West is generally quite stable. There has been the outbreak of conflict in other countries, but that seems very far removed from us. In our own context here in Northern Ireland, the cycle of violence that went on for almost 40 years has stopped and peace, however dysfunctional that peace is at times, has been the norm for 20 years. The effect of all of that is that we find it harder to pray because life is so calm and life is so easy. Secondly, we we don't pray because of the tech revolution, revolution. One of the challenges for the church today is to process and adapt to the radical shift in the way in which we live. The radical shift has been brought about by the tech revolution. In the palm of your hand, you can hold a device that gives you instant access to information about any country in the world and about any topic that you can think of. To be separated from your phone for any length of time is generally today considered a form of torture. You break out in sweats, you shake. My phone's been away from me for like five seconds. To be able to swipe and like and post and share is basically a human right today. Think of the advance in technology over the past 50 or 60 years. Some of you have relatives who, when they were young, 16 or 17, moved to the other side of the world, New Zealand, Australia, America. When they moved, you lost contact with them immediately. They were gone. You never saw them again, never heard from them again. It maybe took a number of years for you to pick up contact with them. But now if a relative or a family member was to move across the world, you could see them every day by way of a video call through FaceTime, WhatsApp or Zoom. The tech revolution has opened so many doors for us, but it's made it harder to pray. In the past, it was still hard to pray. There were still distractions. The difference now, though, is that we can access the distractions by simply lifting out of our pockets something that is 14 centimetres high, 7 centimetres wide, and just scroll and swipe and post and like. Back in the day, people used to count the bricks in the wall or the tiles in the ceiling when the sermon in church or the lesson in class was dull and boring. Now you can just discreetly pull out your phone and disengage from the world around you. One of the most penetrating quotes I've ever heard on this issue comes from John Piper. This is a great quote. He said, One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day 
that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook on the last day will be to prove that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. It's penetrating. The third, third reason we don't pray is because we're cynical. I, I, I don't know about you, but the older that I get, the more cynical I become. And that's a problem because lots of other people are the same. We live in a world that is skeptical, doubtful, pessimistic, disillusioned. The air we breathe is cynical and the people we rub shoulders with are cynical. And that makes it hard to pray because why would praying make any difference? That's what people say. Some of you here today might have been burned. You don't pray because you were told that prayer would fix everything and it didn't. So you've given up. You're cynical. Why bother? That's why we don't pray. Just some of the reasons. There are probably other things that we like to say, but we'll leave it there for now. Those are perhaps the most pressing reasons we don't pray today. The second question we need to answer is what is prayer? If we don't pray, then we shouldn't assume that we know what prayer is. One of the things that we do in church life is that we assume we're familiar with things that we do all the time. Prayer is a good example. We pray before church. We pray in church. We pray during the week as a church. But what is prayer? Is there a definition to help us understand what it is? Here's a general definition that we might find helpful. Prayer is personal communication with God. It's a very broad definition. Prayer is personal communication with God. Slightly more nuanced definition is given to us in the Shorter Catechism. Question 98 of the Shorter Catechism is, what is prayer? Here's the answer. Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Let's just pick that apart because it's a great definition. Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God. Put simply, prayer is calling on the name of the Lord. Here's a, a pop quiz question for you. What is, where is the first prayer in the Bible? Do you know the answer? Where's the first prayer in the Bible? Comes at the end of Genesis 4. Genesis 4, 25 and 26 tells us, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The key phrase is, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. When this phrase is used in the Old Testament, it is asking God to intervene specifically to do one thing, to come through on his promises. For example, later on in Genesis, uh, chapter 12, verse 8, chapter 13, verse 4, Abraham calls on the name of God at key moments. And the phrase is also used later in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings eighteen twenty-four, and in Elijah's battle with the prophets of Baal. Elijah lays down the challenge to Baal worshippers and you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So prayer is an offering up of our desires to God. It's, it's calling on the name of the Lord. It's asking God to come through in his promises. Prayer is also ask, us asking, uh, prayer is also us asking for things agreeable to God's will. First John 5, 14 and 15 says, <coughs> and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. But how do we know what God's will is when we pray? If the matter we're praying about is covered in a passage of scripture in which God gives us a command or direction, a direct declaration of his will, then the answer to this question is easy. His will is that his word is obeyed and that his commands are kept. So let me give you an example of that. How do you know God's will for your life? How do you know God's will in a certain situation? Here's an example. You're a young Christian and you've been asked out on a date by someone who isn't a Christian. What do you do? If the matter you're praying about is covered by a passage of scripture with a command or declaration, the answer to the question is easy. You won't go on the date because Christians should only go out with Christians. When it comes to praying things that are agreeable to God's will, our knowledge of scripture is key. It'll be a massive help to us. But there will be lots of situations in life when we don't know what God's will is. We might not be sure because there's no promise or command of scripture that applies to the situation we're in. Is it God's will that you get the job you applied for? Is it God's will that you win the running race at school? Is it God's will that you get into the best university? In all situations, we can bring the word to bear and apply as much of the Bible as we can. But there comes a point when we admit that we don't know what God's will is. In that case, we should ask him for deeper understanding and then prayer for what seems best to us, giving reasons to the Lord as to why we're praying for what seems to be best. But it's always right to add, either explicitly or in our hearts, if it is your will. That's a key phrase. So sometimes God will grant what we've asked for. Sometimes he'll give us deeper understanding or change our hearts so that we're led to ask for something different. So sometimes he'll grant our requests, not, regret, not grant our request at all, but will simply indicate to us that we must submit to his will. So that's a little bit about God's will and prayer. As well as that, prayers to be made in the name of Christ. I will come to this more in our third point, but we pray because of Jesus. We're sinful and God is holy. Therefore, we have no right on our own to enter into his presence. We need a mediator to come between us and God and to bring us into God's presence. And the Bible clearly teaches that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We, we pray because of him. Prayer is also to involve the confession of our sins. Our obedience to God is never perfect in this life. And because of that, we continually depend on his forgiveness for our sins. Confession of sin is necessary in order for God to forgive us in the sense of restoring the day-to-day -day relationship with us. It's as 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's good when we pray to confess all known sin to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. Sometimes when we wait on him, he'll, he'll bring other sins to mind that we need to confess. When it comes to sins that we don't remember or are unaware of, it's good for us to pray David's prayer from Psalm 19 verse 12. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. And the last part of that definition, the Shorter Catechism's definition of prayer is that it should involve thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. It's Philippians 4, 6. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why do, we, why, why do we not pray? Life is easy, tech has taken over our lives and we're a little bit cynical. What is prayer? It's personal communication with God. It's 
calling on his name and involves lots of different things. How can we pray? That's our final question. How can can we pray in the biblical sense of the word? Well, the basis for our prayers comes through our mediator, our saviour, Jesus. There are multitudes of people who only have a vague, sentimental attachment to Jesus. They think of him as a great teacher, a great leader, a great ideal of humanity. Those people are not Christians and their prayers are not really Christian prayers. People assume that prayer is there to help us when we need it, that Jesus is some kind of divine butler who, who will serve us when we call on him. But you cannot understand prayer unless you understand it through the lens of the gospel. We, by our natural inclination, are hell-deserving sinners. Jesus was punished, suffered, and died for our sins, and through him we can know God again. Prayer is not something that we can, can fake or manufacture. True prayer only comes when we see ourselves as guilty and wretched before God. The best example of this in the Bible comes to the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. The tax collector says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Pharisee has prayed this eloquent prayer in front of everybody. But Jesus says that this man, the the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. How can you pray? How can we pray? You can only pray if you have come to God through Jesus. You might be here this morning, and for most of this sermon, you've been thinking, this is great. This is one of those sermons where he's giving the Christians a hard time. I can just sit back, switch off, because this doesn't really apply to me. That's not actually the case. If anything, this sermon is showing you what you don't have if you're not a Christian. You don't have access to God. You can't personally communicate with God if you haven't trusted in Jesus. So you're missing out. Now, what is it that people say to me when they're going through a difficult time? Illness, bereavement, bereavement, sadness, loneliness. People say, I I don't know what I would do if I didn't have the Lord. In other words, I, I don't know what I would do without being able to talk to my heavenly father in prayer. What do you do if you're not a Christian? How do you cope? And what or who do you lean on? And, and don't you realize that whatever that is, it will ultimately let you down? How can you pray as a Christian? Well, if you're going to move from I should pray more to I can pray, we have to think of prayer in the right way, don't we? And at the heart of that right way is understanding that our God isn't hard of hearing and that he isn't hard of heart. You can speak to him, you can talk to him, you can be honest with him, you can be plain with him. You don't need to impress him. As your heavenly father, he already loves you. You just need to show up and talk to him. You need to trust him if you want to talk to him. We're going to tease out how and what we pray over the next few weeks through the Lord's Prayer. But most of us are so familiar with it that we've never stopped to think how amazing it is to have something like this. What if you had the opportunity to to ask the greatest football manager of all time, Sir Alex Ferguson, to teach you how to manage a football team? Or if you were able to ask the greatest chef to teach you how to cook, or if you'd ask the greatest fighter pilot to to teach you how to fly a plane, you'd be on the edge of your seat ready to hear what the expert has to say and then to put the advice into practice. How much more 
should we be ready and eager to hear from Jesus. He is much more than an expert in prayer and prayer is infinitely more important than any hobby, skill or vocation. Prayer is absolutely essential for a Christian. We, we, we can't live without it. How blessed we are that Jesus has left for us for all time the Lord's Prayer. He didn't just tell us how to pray, tell us to pray and then leave it. He gave us the perfect model for how we should pray. That means that what he has to say is pretty important. We're called to pray. We're commanded to pray. We find it difficult at times. We need help with it. Thankfully, Jesus has given us just what we need. You should read the Lord's Prayer in Luke's Gospel before you come to church next week. You should try and put some of the things we've talked about this morning into practice. As your heavenly Father, God already loves you. You just need to show up and talk to him. As we finish, let me quote you an old hymn written by Hugh Stowell. It's called From Every Stormy Wind. It speaks beautifully of what God through prayer provides us with. This is the hymn. From every stormy wind that blows, from every swelling tide of woes, there is a calm, a sure retreat. Tis found beneath the mercy seat. There, there, on eagle wings we soar, and time and sense seem all no more. And heaven comes down our souls to greet, and glory crowns the mercy seat. What is it that God provides through prayer? Calm in the midst of storms, calm in the midst of woes, and also a sense of heaven in our souls. Here's the final verse of the hymn. So it's really a plea that we'll never forget all the benefits of prayer. And as I read it, you might want to pray inwardly, pray, pray these words inwardly in your heart. O oh, may my hand forget her skill, my tongue be silent, cold and still, this bounding heart forget to beat, if I forget the mercy seat. There's no other activity more essential to the Christian life and yet more discouraging in a Christian's life than prayer. So let's ask for God's help now as individuals and as a church family. Let's ask him to help us never forget the mercy seat. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that through your son, we can have personal communication with you, our father. Lord, we confess our feelings when it comes to prayer. We realize that we're pretty hopeless at it at times, but we thank you for your grace, which picks us up, which encourages us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who, who helps us and, and works in us. Father, we pray that you would help us in prayer, that you would help us to pray, that you would help us to look to you, to rely on you, and that you would help us not to forget the mercy seat. Father, we pray for those who aren't yet Christians, those who haven't trusted in Jesus. We pray that they would see this morning what they're missing out on, personal communication with you, our Heavenly Father. How good it is that we can speak to you. Help us to speak to you more this week and in the weeks that lie ahead. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.